Good morning. If we haven't met before, I am Catherine. I am one of the pastors of Trinity, and I welcome you, those of you who are in person with us this morning and those of you who are joining us online. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was officiating a funeral, and I, I saw Miss Laura, and she said, I said, oh, I haven't seen you in a while. She said, oh, I see you every week. I watch you every Sunday. Um, so we are so grateful for those of you who are joining us online, and, and we hope you'll let us know that you're here uh, by either typing your name in the chat um, on, on Facebook or YouTube or uh, filling out the connection card, and we appreciate you all doing it who are here in person as well. It really helps us to be able to, uh, to stay connected with you, and we sure appreciate it. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about brave faith. Several months ago, we um, read this book by our uh, now bishop, Bishop Tom Berlin, and decided that we would offer this series. It just seems like having a brave faith, thinking about what uh, being courageous as a Christian looks like is so important, especially in the times in which we live. We need to be challenged to live into the courage that we already possess as followers of Christ and uh, understand what it looks like in tangible ways to have brave faith. The first week of the series, the Reverend Dr. Gary Mason came and, and uh, was a part of worship with us uh, he is from Northern Ireland and was in the, in the thick of trying to bring reconciliation and, and rethink what conflict looks like um, in the times of the Troubles. And then he has done that work in other regions of our world since then um, with Israel and Palestine, now currently in the United States working with um, persons and groups from different, different um, political parties. Um, then last week, Steve talked about the courage of conviction, and today I'll be looking at the courage of candor, uh, or the candor of courage, I should say. As Bishop Berlin writes, there are few places where courage is required more than in the words that we say to one another, and yet verbal courage can have such a lasting impact on our relationships with one another, on our goals and priorities, on our integrity. What we say and don't say has lasting consequences. So how can we live into brave faith with the candor of courage? Candor is speaking in a way that is direct and honest. It is earnest and forthright. Fear convinces us often that if we speak about things that are important, are of real value, then something bad or harmful may happen. Candor in conversations causes us to take risks, and yet it also enables us to move forward with integrity and with honesty. So this morning we're going to take a look at the candor of Jesus and how his courage leads us into deeper relationships, challenging conversations, and, and candor that can even bring about reconciliation and change people's way of seeing things, change people's points of view. So we're going to turn to the story of the woman anointing Jesus' feet 
And afterwards, that the conversation, the conversation that Jesus has with Simon, who is the host for the, the dinner gathering, and also a Pharisee. So I invite you to take a listen to Luke chapter 7. I'll start with 36, and, and we'll go through the end of that chapter. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After he entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dining at the Pharisee's house. She brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster. Standing behind him at his feet and crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured oil on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, saw what was happening, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. Jesus, hearing Simon's thoughts, replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak, he said. A certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. The other owed enough money for 50. When they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of them both. Which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I, I suppose the one who had the largest debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has per poured perfumed oil on my feet. This is why I tell you that her sins, her many sins have been forgiven. So, therefore, she has shown great love. The one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, the woman, your sins are forgiven. The other table guests began to say among themselves, who is this person that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God and God's people say, thanks be to God. Let me invite you, as I do each time, to pray for me in sharing this message with you as I pray for you in receiving it. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock 
and our Redeemer. Amen. So Jesus has been invited to the home of one of the leading citizens in the city. His host, Simon, is having a dinner party and has invited Jesus to come. Now, at that time, dinner would have been served on a mat on the floor, not at a table. So these, uh, these businessmen are gathered around the table, but they're not sitting as we would imagine today, but they're actually kind of lounging, laying on their left elbow with their feet extended away from the mat, the table, and eating with their right hand. That's the scene with all the businessmen gathered together in the open courtyard area of this home, this home of one of the prominent leaders in the community. And while they are gathered there around the table, a woman who is identified as a sinner comes in. Now, we have all been told over the years that this woman was a prostitute but actually, the Greek word is just sinner. It's the same Greek word that's used to talk about Peter, who was a sinner. So this woman comes in. We don't know what her sin is, where she's been, or what she's done. But we do know that she is a sinner. And she doesn't just randomly approach the table. She goes directly to Jesus. So she apparently knows him already. And she grabs a hold of his feet in this just display of gratitude. She cries tears on Jesus' feet. And then, and then she wipes them dry with her hair. And then she pours ointment, not oil on his head as normally was the custom, but pours this expensive ointment even on his feet. Now, although the setting may have been different then, the thoughts and feelings of everyone in the room would be the same then as they would be today. It would have been as startling then as it would be today. Everyone is uncomfortable with how extravagant this woman is being in this, in this lush display of affection from a sinner. As soon as this woman walks up to him, Jesus should have rebuked her, right? He should have told her that he was appalled by her behavior, um, been clear that he didn't know her at all, and immediately distanced himself from her. He should have asked her to leave, and if she wouldn't, then he should have called other people to come and take her away, to take her out of the courtyard. And that's exactly what Simon was thinking. You know, he's the host for this gathering. Why doesn't he tell this woman to detach herself from him? Why doesn't he ask for her to be thrown out? This is embarrassing to me. But Jesus sees this woman differently than Simon sees her. He knows all about this woman. He knows who she is and where she's been and what she's done. And he knows where she is now. And he invites Simon into a conversation with candor. Now, asking for an opening, Jesus says, Simon, I, I have something to say to you. And Simon responds, inviting him to speak. 
Jesus waited for the invitation. And then Jesus tells Simon this story. Two people have borrowed money from the bank. One person owes two years' worth of salary, and the other one owes two months' worth of salary. Neither of them can pay off their loan. And then the bank decides to forgive their loans. The bank offers this as a grant instead. Their debt has been forgiven. Neither of them has to repay what they owe. Which person will be more ecstatic about that? The one who owed two months of salary or the one who owed two years salary? Simon responds, well, the one who owed two years salary, of course. And then Jesus goes on. Do you see this woman? And Jesus points out to Simon his underwhelming love and hospitality toward Jesus compared to this woman's extravagant love. The woman is overjoyed because she owed a great debt and she has been forgiven. Her debt was abolished and, and she was overwhelmed with gratitude. In Jesus' interaction with Simon, we see the candor of his courage and we are challenged to follow, to live into that likewise. So let's look at a few things that, that Jesus does as a part of this conversation. First of all, he calls Simon by name. And we can't underestimate the power and intimacy of calling someone by name. Remember in the garden, the morning of the resurrection of Christ? It's when Jesus calls Mary by name that she recognizes him and, and comes to her senses. Before that, she didn't recognize him. Calling someone by name speaks of being in relationship with them. Of It, it communicates a knowing and, and an empathy. Jesus calls Simon by name and then initiates a conversation. Second, Jesus invites Simon into a conversation and waits for Simon to accept that invitation. Jesus doesn't start lecturing him and instead he speaks to him in a way that is grounded in respect. He speaks to him as an equal and, and a partner, seeking understanding and not simply issuing judgment. He tells him a story and invites him in, while at the same time gently calling him out. He gives Simon the space to be able to listen. Had Jesus begun to exhort him, Simon would likely have become defensive, perhaps even shut down. Instead, Jesus gives him room to hear what he has to say and to be open to a different way of seeing and a different understanding. Next, candor calls for curiosity. Parker Palmer, author, calls, calls this being prone to wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R, prone to wonder. In conversations, Palmer says that perhaps it's a, a good idea to wonder 
about things. Hey, I, I wonder if, and, and that helps to be, uh, to bring about clarity. After Jesus paints this picture of the, two, the story of the two debtors, he is prone to wonder. Hey, hey, Simon, I wonder which of these two debtors will love the moneylender more. I, I, I just, I wonder. Simon's answer brings them to a place of agreement. They can both see clearly that the one who has been forgiven more will love more. Once agreeing with the general then, you know, Jesus has found this, this place of agreement in generalities, then he moves back to the particular, back to the woman and her extravagant displays of love. Jesus says, do you see this woman? But when he brings the conversation back to the woman, Jesus only speaks to what is germane in the moment. When being courageously candid, Jesus speaks only to the issue at hand. It is not important what this woman did in the past. That is of no relevance at that moment. He doesn't want to focus on her previous sin, but on her overwhelming love and hospitality in that moment. How many times when we try to speak with candor do we drudge up the past instead of focusing squarely on the present? Any of you all ever do that with a spouse or a family member, maybe? Jesus, though, leads us to focus on, with candor, on what is right before us and not to get lost in the past and all the baggage from the past. And as Jesus brings the focus back to this woman, he points out then, gently, lovingly, with, with kindness and consideration, the depth of her love. He's called him by name. He's wondered about some things. They found agreement. They've entered into a conversation. And then he says, you know, Simon, when I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she has wiped my feet, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them dry with her hair. You, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but she, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, and yet she has poured expensive perfume on my feet. Therefore, because she has been forgiven so much, she now sows so much love. In lifting up the actions of this woman to be admired, Jesus lets everyone in the room know that he is standing by her and with her as he always stands with those who are the least, the last, and the lost. Courageous candor stands with those who are the most vulnerable, the most susceptible to harm, in spite of the cost 
that it might, um, in spite of what it might cost for the person standing with them. Because that's what happens in this situation. Because as Jesus stands with this woman, the focus then shifts away from her and back to him. They may no longer look at the woman with concern, but then they look at Jesus and find some way to criticize him. What he, Who is this that he can even forgive sins? Tom Berlin, the author of Courage and our new bishop, says this, quote, No matter how well we engage in candid conversation, we should anticipate that the very act of honesty and desire to resolve drama rather than live in it will bring criticism and the potential anger of others. Many people are not are unfamiliar with functional ways of dealing with the complexities of life. Courage enables us to be unbothered by those who attempt to undermine the conversation. It allows us to set our face to the wind when a person seeks to damage the reputation of the one who offers candor. Courage keeps us focused. It does not allow personal insecurity to divert us from the hard but necessary work of this restorative practice. Even if it might be costly to us, we are called to engage in the candor of courage because it leads to rest restoration, restoration of relationships, restoration of communities. It might be hard, but we are called to do it. You know, 300 years before the birth of Christ, Aristotle spoke to this kind of candor and the difficult task of speaking the truth, quote, to the right person, to the right extent, at the right time, with the right motive, and in the right way. Yeah, there's a lot to take into consideration here. He said, Aristotle said, it's not right for everyone and it's not easy. But for those of us who walk in the way of Christ, for those of us who want to live a brave faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, we cultivate this candor of courage. Jesus didn't call us to be liked. You know that? Jesus didn't call us to be liked. Jesus called us to have brave faith, speaking the truth in love, whenever it is warranted. The Apostle Paul talks about speaking the truth in love. He writes, speaking the truth in love, we must grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. We we must grow up in every way into Christ who is our head for the growth and the good of the body so that we can build it up in love. That's the purpose of the candor of courage, to find the candor to speak with brave faith, to build up the body in love. May God, may God give us the courage to have hard conversations and the candor to do it well, speaking the truth in love. Let's pray together.
Oh God, as we come to you this morning, each of us can think of those times and places where we perhaps didn't speak when we should have, when we, we held our tongue, or when we spoke but without the candor, without the love uh, exemplified to us by Christ. Oh God, help us to find that candor of courage when we hear an off-color joke, when we are having conversation with those who might feel very differently than we do. Help us to find the candor of courage to speak lovingly across party lines and across theological divisions. Help us to speak the truth in love so that we can build relationships and build up the body of Christ in every way. Oh God, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we live into the candor of courage. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.